Hey there, and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. We've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives, and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. We're going to unpack the fifth session of this series. As we, what happened on October the 7th, I really felt God stirring me to talk around recognizing the times that we're living in. And the goal of this series is really to, first of all, recognize things are different. Who would say the world is changing again? The world is shifting. And live with a sense of urgency by sharing the good news of peace and love to those around us. That's really why we're doing this series. And our world is changing. And Bible prophecy is happening in front of our eyes. Many of the things that we're witnessing on our news channels have been foretold in scripture, so they should come as no surprise. So a little bit of a a statement or a vision statement for the series is Jesus is coming back again. The world as we know it will end. Those who know Christ will spend eternity with him. Those who don't know Christ will spend eternity in hell. It's a heavy statement, isn't it? This series though is not to scare us but really help us just recognize and acknowledge what is happening around us. Now, teaching like this can often bring a sense of fear and uncertainty and catch people off guard. That's not what the point of it is. It's a message of hope. This is a series of a message of hope. The message of Jesus is always one of hope. Even though Jesus speaks truth, the truth is to bring freedom into people's lives. Now, in the Gospels, there are six questions that we're addressing. Six questions before Christ died, resurrected, and sent back to heaven that Jesus addressed. Question one, we looked at three weeks ago, two weeks ago, sorry. Why does Jesus need to return? The answer was to save us from ourselves. The world would self-destruct if Jesus does not come back. The second question, when will this happen? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't give an exact date or time. The third question, what are the signs? I unpack talking about deception, division, disasters, defamation, desertion, disinformation, and declaration. If you missed that message, I encourage you to catch up week one of this. Last week, Steve brilliantly unpacked the question of how we should live. Live with our lamps ready, carry the oil, use the oil, and steward the oil that God has given us. So this week, question number five, and I'd love to say this is an easier week, but it's not. Question number five is this, where will we go? Where will we go? Now before we begin to answer that question, I want to just say this, that Chantal and I, one day, we have to stand before God, like we all do, but we have to give an account to a higher standard. We have to give an account of what we have taught the church, because we've been given this responsibility, authority of being senior pastors in a church. And Hebrews chapter 13, Paul talks about that we are set to a higher standard, which means the Bible or church is not like a bag of pick and mix, where we can just pick out the sweets we like and leave the ones we don't. Okay, that's not what happens. We have to give people all the information from the Bible and uh, from the responsibility that God's given. And it's up, to, it's up to everyone what they do with that information. But our responsibility is to teach the whole truth. And so humanity, let's get back to our question, has always had this fundamental query, question, what happens next? Where do we go? Has anyone ever asked themselves that question? What happens next? Three people. (laughs) Come on, who's ever asked that question? What happens next? Where do we go? If I was to die today, what does life, what happens next? So I decided, rather than just me answering it, or the Bible answering it, why don't we go out into the streets of Norwich and ask some of the locals what they think happens what they think happens next. They gave some very interesting responses. (laughs) 
So what do, what do you think will happen when you die? I'm not sure about it, mate. Think how good you've been, isn't it? Yeah, we come alive again. I'm 100% sure about it. I don't know. What do you think happens when you die? That's it. Die, decompose, back to Earth. Nothing more. I know people talk about this light and all the rest of it, but no, I'm not convinced. That's it, you just switch off. Mm. I suppose you go into like a place where you see all your family who have passed, mm. hopefully give you some comfort from this world. Mm. So do you believe in heaven? Probably not, just to see like a family. Do you believe in heaven? Um, not really. My partner used to and he died in June, but he ain't been in contact, so... <laughs> what about hell? Do you believe in hell? Meet your friends there, I suppose, wouldn't you? <laughs> Do you believe in heaven or hell? Only on Earth. Um, what we describe as heaven is all the pleasure paradise stuff, and hell is having to get up at half five <laughs> midwinter's morning to go and do a 13-hour shift. Do you believe in hell, then? Maybe. For the people who've done bad things, there's mm. got to be a place for them. You're basically going to watch over your whole life. It's going to be weighed up. Mm. And then depending on how you live your life, you'll go to heaven or hell. No. Yeah. I think they just have a round of applause. I think they answered those brilliantly. Although only one of them lines up with scripture. Every day, 80,000 people leave this earth. 90 years from now, nearly everyone here, maybe a couple of those little babies, will be gone. Lovely thought, hey? Anyone glad they came to church today? <laughs> the human race has a bit of a problem. It's called mortality. And we have a 100% success rate. No one has ever escaped it. We've taken supplements, drunk Fiji water, attended Pilates, maybe you fasted intermittently, maybe you've swapped your, your dairy milk for almond, maybe some of you even got on the Botox. But the reality is, we can prolong our lives, but we cannot stop mortality. That's the reality. Jesus spoke about eternity more than any other subject. This was a subject close to his heart. Now, you may not agree with everything that's said today or anything that's said today, and that's fine. We all have our own viewpoints. But my promise is that I will not say anything today the Bible doesn't say. We're not going to refer to somebody's out-of-body spiritual experience where they wrote a book or put the DVD together, okay? Now, that could happen to some people, and I'm not here to, but we are just going to stick primarily to Jesus' teachings on eternity. And then all of us can reach our own conclusions on what we feel. Now, I struggled to find any millennial or recognized millennial or Gen Z's voices on this subject, which is interesting. However, not surprising, because it's also fascinating that the young authors of the Bible, other than Jesus, hardly touched on it either. Now, why is that? It's because when you're young, you live forever. And then you kind of hit 40 and start thinking, hang on, I might have just hit half time. John was 93 when he wrote the book of Revelation. Okay, so he was in his senior years when he had that revelation of eternity. But before we talk about where we go, we're actually going to have to take a step back and ask ourselves an even deeper question, and it's not a nice question, when do we go? When do we go? David said this in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble. That's true. And sorry, sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Now David is saying, roughly, he's probably speaking from experience, being around family and friends and life and work. He's saying people's lives are somewhere between 70 and 80 years 
as a generation. Some people, sadly, die quicker. Other people, miraculously, live longer. But on average, somewhere between 70 and 80. Now, I have got 70 rocks between these two buckets. Okay? Each one of them, each one of them has got a number on it. Okay, this is number 35, this is number 32, this is number 14, number 20, number 11. Okay? And every one of these, that, that, those, those numbers are between 1 and 44. Who knows what they represent? They represent the 44 years of my life that have been spent. I can't get those back. I wish I could. Anyone wish they could take a couple of years back? You're like, yeah, give me a couple, wind it back a few. In this bucket, in this bucket, I've got the remainder from 45 to 70. And there's a lot less in this one than there is in that one. And on the table, I've given myself, because I've been quite trying to eat a healthy diet, trying to look after myself, okay, trying to drink a lot of green tea. I've given myself the extra 10 that David was talking about, okay, just to make the bucket feel a little bit fuller, okay? But the problem is, I'm still well over halfway. What are you laughing at? Some of you are way over halfway too. <laughs> but the challenge is, Every year, this is number 45, this one, settle, make sure you got me something nice because in two weeks, <clears throat> in two weeks time, this one is going to travel to that one and this one becomes a little lighter and every year you drop a stone, sadly not in weight. Who wish they'd drop a stone in weight every year? I mean, that would be a perfect birthday present. Who would take that for a birthday present? I'll give you a... Yeah, there we go, there we go. It doesn't work like that. Every year, and I want us to keep... We're going to come back to, we're going to come back to this illustration of the stones because the reality is, every year, one of our stones moves to the other bucket. It's amazing because I kind of think we're going to live forever. We don't want to talk about where we're going, let alone when we're going. But we're all guaranteed two things. You're taking notes, you want to write these two things down, they're pretty helpful. We're all guaranteed, number one, to leave Earth. 100% guaranteed. There's only two people who ever dodged death, Enoch and Elisha. But with the exception of those, even Jesus died. We're all leaving Earth. Second thing we're guaranteed is we're all going somewhere. James 4.14 says, what is your life? It's a vapor. appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I don't think we can ignore this, this subject of eternity. Probably for some of you, especially the younger ones, young adults, you've got so many buckets there, so many stones ahead of you in the bucket, you, it doesn't really matter. But what happens, I, I remember being like that at 20, 21, and I'm, suddenly I'm 44. I'm like, where did that time go? Anyone else? Especially when your brain's getting younger and your body's getting older. <laughs> Try and play football. It's honestly a joke watching us on a Monday night. We've got the older group play on a Monday night and we're still playing like we're 20-year-olds, 20, 20 but we don't play like we're 20-year-olds. Because we can't, because the body ages. But the more, the more we dismiss eternity in the future, the more we free ourselves to live how we want in the present. We'll say that again. The more we dismiss eternity in the future, this is subtle. This is a subtle life from the enemy. What he, what he does is he he says you're free to live how you want in the present. Oh, I'm I'm only alive 70 years. I'm, if I'm lucky, 80. If I make it to 70, so do you know what I'm going to do? I'll just do what I want. I'll go where I want. I'll spend what I want. I'll sleep with who I want. I'll drink what I want. I'll take what I want. Because when I'm done, I'm done. And so many people live with this attitude. We even saw it in the video, when we're done, we're done. But the reality is when we're done, we're not done. So if we could just get God out of our minds, 
eternity so far out of our thinking, we don't have to be concerned about how we live. I actually think the more we talk about eternity, actually the more concerned we should be of how we spend our rocks on earth. If we really believe that we're going somewhere to spend eternity, I actually think we would live a different life. If you could spend one second in hell and one minute in heaven, who knows tomorrow would be very different. Very different. One of the reasons I teach on this every year is not just to make us aware of the next life, but help us know how to live this one. Because if we believe in eternity in the next life, it should shape how we live in this life. One of the lies the enemy has sown to our generation is we have to make this world which we live bigger and the one we're going to smaller. Out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. So we make this world bigger. But the greater my expectation of heaven, the better standard of life I'll have on earth. And we've squeezed the teaching of eternity out of pulpits. We've squeezed it out. We've lost our eternal perspective. In fact, we have become obsessed with history and forgotten about eternity. We've become obsessed with history. Now, I love history. Okay, I got a C in my GCSEs. Trust me, that's good. That was one of the higher grades. I came home and told my mum I got a C, and she looked at me as if to say, but no, that was, trust me, that was a good one. Because I'm a historian. I love history. I love Bible history. I love walking around the museums in London. But the reality is we cannot make an idol of history. We cannot make an idol of it. What is an idol? An idol, if you're taking notes, is anything that can be destroyed or torn down. And we live in a world that's obsessed with idols. Obsessed with cars and stuff and all those things, but God isn't saying don't have these things, we've got to just keep them in the right perspective. Because when Jesus comes back and Jesus is coming back, everything we have will go. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, He said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 2 Peter 3 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist, this is, this is heavy going, especially if you're an environmentalist. The earth that now exists is stored up for the fire. Wow. Everything we know goes. The cars we drive, the house we live, everything. The FTSE 100 share index companies, you mean everything that I have built in my lifetime will go. If you believe what Jesus is saying, yes. Everything we held high will be brought down low. So why do we treat it like it's going to be here forever? I actually think life will be better, this life will be better, if we shift our focus to the next life. The goal the goal of today is to make the next life bigger and this life smaller. Because everything is screaming, this one bigger and that one smaller. But actually, if James is right, we only spend eternity. Because every year, the rocks are moving. And we, we don't want to talk about this big subject yet. It's the one that faces all of us. God wants you and I to live in the light of eternity. I want to share this morning for the next three and a half hours, living in the light of eternity. Some of you are looking at me going, was he, was he being truthful? No, no, I wasn't being truthful. <laughs> all right. Living in the light of eternity. The question isn't, will I live forever? Because history shows us we won't. The next big question to address is this, where will we go? For some of us, this could be difficult because we have loved ones who maybe didn't know Christ or who don't know Christ. And I will just say this, none of us are a judge of a person's soul, none of us. 
None of us know what happens in the final moments, the final hours, days of a person's life. We don't know. The thief on the cross never said a prayer, never went to church, never tithed, never gave to half the house, never joined a group, never did anything. Yet Jesus, he acknowledged Jesus, simply acknowledged him on the cross. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So our, our role isn't to judge where people's souls are. There's an old hymn that says, the vilest offender who truly believes one moment from Jesus a pardon receives. We just don't know what happens in a person's life. But once again, let's allow the words of Christ to answer this question, where will we go? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Again, Jesus speaking, Gospel of Matthew. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We don't know exactly who his audience was, but what we do know is Jesus didn't pull any punches. Two gates, two paths, two destinations. Two gates, one small, one big. Two paths, one narrow path, less crowded, difficult, that leads to life. One wide path, very crowded and easy, leads to destruction. Two destinations, life referring to heaven, Jesus was speaking about, destruction referring to hell. Now, no matter how well I am as an orator, how eloquently, adequately I could speak, I could never, ever have words to describe heaven or hell. There are not words in the English vocabulary that could talk about the magnitude of both of these places. But what I have done over the past few weeks is I've studied them both, I've studied what Jesus said about them both, and I want to give us 12 biblical insights into heaven and hell to help you understand. Okay? 12 biblical insights. Six on hell and six on heaven. And then we all get to choose the destination. I'm not going to tell you what to do, and you don't tell me what to do, but I'll give you an opportunity at the end of this service to choose which gate, which path, and which destiny you want to go. But let's look what Jesus said about these. Who wants the good news or the bad news? Should we start with the bad news? Let's get the bad news out of the way. I like to get the bad news out of the way first, all right? Jesus talks about hell. Now, when he speaks about hell, he uses some pretty, pretty real, raw language. In Luke chapter 16, it's the story of the, the, the rich man and Lazarus. It's a complicated story, and I haven't got time to unpack it too, too much. But we, we do get a little glimpse of what hell could look like. Now, most parables are, are, are metaphoric, they're figurative. And Jesus usually uh, uses them to, to make a point. And we don't get much detail in a parable. However, this is one of the parables where Jesus gives us extended details about what he's, what he's talking about. It says, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, and fine linen, and fed sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Oof. So it was the beggar died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those from there to pass to us. Verse 27, he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify for them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Normally, we probably get to Luke 16 in our daily devotion and go, that sounds a bit odd, a bit weird. Let's get on to Luke chapter 17, which is a lot easier. But I don't think we can just jump over this chapter like it doesn't exist. Why didn't Jesus just say, two people died, one went to heaven, one went to hell, and everyone else lived happily ever after? The point is, Jesus intentionally gives the reader and the listeners 
information, facts about what hell will be like. What do we discover? I want to give you six. I'm not going to spend much time on this because I don't want us to leave hell focused. I want us to leave this service heaven focused. But I think it's important that we don't just skip over this. The first, what do we discover? The first fact is this, that the man is alive. He's alive in hell. There is no death. Who knows if you're talking, you're alive. The whole chapter is a person talking. So we know there is, there's no let up in, 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 in hell. The second thing is this man has full memory about what's happening. He cried out and said, Father Abraham. He's got full memory of scripture. He's conscious about his suffering. He's not dead. Third thing is this man describes his desperate cry to quench his thirst. Call my tongue. He's thirsty. He's suffering. The fourth point we see here, insight, is the man is describing the conditions, the environment of hell. It says, I am tormented in this flame. Hell is not a place where sinners hang out in bars and brothels and smoke weed and they talk about their sins and see who's done the best sin this week. That's not hell. That's what we've created as hell in our mind. Hell is a place of eternal torment. Nobody is amening me right now. Number five is this man is describing his regrets. He says, For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they must also come to this place. They mustn't come. He is desperate to leave this place and go back and tell his five brothers about the gate that they need to go through, the path they need to be on, and the destination they need to get to. What makes hell hell is people remember that they had an opportunity to choose another path. That's what makes hell hell. Number six, I'm going to finish on this. This is the hardest one, is the man is describing the fact that hell is a place of no return. Those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. There's no opportunity to fix it. Hell is where God is not. The wide gate is actually humanity's default mode. Without God, we are all destined for a lost eternity. We do not default to heaven. But John, I'm a good person. Good on you. But being a good person does not mean you default to heaven. So important that we understand this. We do not default to heaven. We choose the gate. We choose the path which leads us to heaven. Our autopilots are fixed for destruction. Now, here's the good news. We get to change direction. I don't want us to leave hell-minded today. That's not the, I, 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 hell is the single greatest tragedy on the universe. It was never built for people. It was built for the devil. But Tim Keller said this. He said, unless we believe in hell, we will never truly understand how much Jesus loves us. Unless I teach this, you'll never understand the sacrifice of why Christ went to the cross and saved you. This is what he saved you from. So let's shift our thinking to good news. There is another gate which leads to another path which takes us to another destination. But small is the gate. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Here's what happens in life. When you choose the broad path, it's a broad, sorry, a broad gate. It leads to a broad life. But when you live without Jesus in your life, your life gets narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower till eventually you have nothing. When you choose Jesus, it's a difficult decision. It's a small gate. You might get bullied at school. You might get persecuted at work. But as you choose Jesus, there is opportunity and favor. And God gives you a wide, wide path to an eternal life. It's a difficult gate. It's a difficult path which leads to eternity. Heaven is central to our Christian hope. Central. I cannot imagine 
my first glimpse of heaven. On Friday night, I took my son Justice to his first England game. We went to Wembley, and uh, they played Malta, and um, we were a little bit late for the game. There was a lot of traffic, and as we walked through the turnstile, we walked in. I said, Justice, turn around. He just went, wow. He'd never seen a stadium, a 90,000-seater stadium, whatever, 87,000 seats, and all those people, and the, the crowd, and the noise, and just a great atmosphere, and all his, all his favorite players. And he just gasped, wow. Can you imagine the day when all our rocks finally are spent? And for those of us who've gone through that narrow gate onto that narrow path, which leads to an eternal wide destiny with Jesus, can you imagine when we open our eyes on that day and we see Jesus? And we see heaven's beauty. We see heaven's nature. We see the creation. We see the place that he's gone ahead to prepare for us. We will not have words adequate to describe what we have arrived in. I don't think Jesus taught this this story in Luke about hell to scare us. I think he taught it to direct us. Because if you read a dodgy TripAdvisor review... In fact, sometimes, you know, whoever, you book your hotel and then you read the review and you thought, wait, what have I, what have I booked? And then you're convinced, you are convinced that that is the hotel, that is the resort, resort. and then you start, someone puts a picture up of like mold in the room or a rat running across the floor and we've had that, don't you worry. But you know, can you imagine reading people's reviews of hell and thinking, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. You wouldn't dream of it. Jesus gives us a trip advisor review of hell, yet people still say, you know what, I'll have a bit of that. That's a trip advisor view of what eternity... That's not, that's not Paul's review. That's our Lord and Savior's review of our eternal destiny. Why would anyone even want to go near a place like that? So Jesus did not teach us about hell to scare us, but actually to direct us to heaven. Now, shall we read some of heaven's TripAdvisor reviews? We don't have any, we only have the insights of scripture. So what's heaven gonna be real, really like? I'm gonna give you six insights and then we're going we're gonna to bring this to a close. Number one is this. First of all, heaven is a real place. Heaven is not a floating set of clouds where we all sit around in white robes and play harps. Okay? If you, I mean, no wonder people don't want to go there. Okay? Heaven is built of real cities, real places. It's a literal place like earth. Heaven is going to be a whole lot more normal than you realize. John 14.1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Okay, this is not a three-bed semi that he's building you. Okay, he's building you a mansion. If it were not so, I would have told you. Look at this. I go to prepare a place. A place. Not a cloud for you to sit on. A place for you. God is preparing a place. And he is the master builder. And he has been building you your house for 2,000 years. Most building projects are done and dusted in a year. Can you imagine what your house is going to look like? Heaven is a real place. Number two. Heaven is an upgrade. Has anyone ever been upgraded or flown business class on an aeroplane? We're British, we never like to admit it, do we? I'm not going to let anyone see. Who's ever flown business class? Okay, that's a few more hands. I'll try it one more time. Who's ever flown business class? Oh, there we go, there we go. Okay. So we were in America in 2018, and we were flying back, and tragically, Chantel's dad had died, and um, we were talking to the lady at the, at the uh, check-in desk, and she so kindly upgraded us to business class for free as we flew back to London. We flew through the night, 
and we laid in a bed. Wow. Now, I want to think about this. Did I spend any time as I was laying down, being served beautiful food and drinks, thinking, I wonder what I'm missing in the back of the plane? I wonder what it's like to be at 45 degrees with no leg room when you're six foot three. I wonder what it's like to be eating chicken or beef, chicken or beef, chicken or beef, chicken or beef. I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it's like to have the knees of the person behind me in my chair and pushing me back and me having that fight. I wonder what it's like to be having armrest wars. Has anyone ever had armrest wars? I tell you, when I get on that plane, even when I'm getting my bag, I'm like that. I'm like, you know, you're not having my armrest. You never, uh, you never regret the upgrade, do you? Do you think the upgrade from earth to heaven, we're going to regret? And think about it, the upgrade from heaven to earth will be vastly supreme, superior to, to economy, to business class on an aeroplane. John, how do you know that? Good question. Because the psalmist said, in your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore there is not much pleasure in economy when I fly economy I'm not sitting there going this can be a really pleasurable eight hours I'm thinking one thing get me off this plane as quick as you can because I've got one thing in mind guess what it is the destination we're in economy we're in economy That's where we are right now. And there's an upgrade coming. There's not much pleasure here right now. And if you think it's going to get any better, it's not. If you think we're going to miss something from our old lives, if we're going to miss it, it will be available in heaven. Heaven is an upgrade. If I went to all of you as you're queuing up to get on economy in an aeroplane, I said, hey, hello, sir, I'd like to give you a free upgrade. Every, every single person would take that, take that, take that, take that, take that. Today, God wants to give some people some upgrades. Set your minds not on things here on earth, the pain and the brokenness and the wars and all the torment and the conflict we see. Actually, we can set our minds on heaven. The thing about heaven is this. Heaven is a big place. I haven't got a chance to read Revelation 21, but the Bible describes the New Jerusalem, which is just one city in heaven. Two million square meters. Just one floor. Heaven is 40,000 times bigger than Norwich. It's a big place. It's a big place. It's big. Number four. I've got time. I'm going to move through these quickly. But heaven, the fourth insight on heaven is heaven is holy. Heaven is a holy place. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain, for the former things will pass away. Then he who sat on the throne said, I will make all things new. All things new. Heaven is holy because of what is barred from heaven. There is no sin in heaven. Sin cannot enter heaven. There is no sickness. Many of you have lost loved ones through cancer. Various forms of disease, but there is no sickness in heaven. Sickness cannot enter heaven's door because it is holy. There is no sorrow, there is no pain, there is no death, there is no darkness because the light of Jesus brightens up heaven. There is no wickedness, there is, there is no funeral homes, there is no cemeteries, there is no hospitals, there is no orphanages, there is no prisons, there is no police force, there is, there, you name it, there's no Portman Road, it is heaven. Heaven. Because of what is barred from it, heaven is holy. Number five, heaven is a school. Who loves to learn? Who's... It just doesn't matter how old you are, young you are, I just love to learn, love to learn new things. That won't stop in heaven. First Peter 
1.12 says, To him that was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. If the angels are still learning, we'll still be learning. If you like learning, you'll still be learning in heaven. Maybe you could do an archery course with David. A prophetic course with Isaiah. Philosophy with John. Tent making with Paul. Boat building with Noah. Surfing with Peter. Maybe Luke will do some further education classes. Maybe Andrew will teach you how to fish. Maybe Jonah will teach you SeaWorld. I don't know. But heaven's not a place we're just going to sit back. Heaven's going to be an active place where we will continue to learn and grow as individuals. And number six, and finally, heaven is the great reunion. Scripture gives us no indication of memory wipeout, causing us not to recognize family or friends. King David said at the death of his infant son in 2 Samuel 12 23 he says you cannot come to me but I can go to you isn't that beautiful you know that brings so much hope and comfort that verse especially for for parents who've lost two children during pregnancy or childbirth we they cannot come back to us but one day we will go to them It also gives us an insight to babies and children who don't have the knowledge or the insight and the understanding of Jesus that they will be in heaven. So then the question is this, who is in heaven? Well, we know Jesus will be there. Those believers who died before us, I think of Roly and his family here today. Roly's in heaven right now. John and Chris, Elizabeth is in heaven right now. One day we'll be reunited to those believers who've gone before us. Those believers who die after us. And you and I will be there if we choose the right path. You see, based on the TripAdvisor reviews, we all have to choose the gate which leads to the path which leads to the destination. We don't default to heaven. We don't default there. We have to choose. There's a, there's a really dangerous theology out there. In fact, it's, I'd go as far to say it's a warped theology. It's called universalism. You may have come across it. Universalism basically said all roads lead to Rome. Regardless of anyone's conduct, belief, everyone will eventually get to heaven. Why did Jesus have to die then? Why did Jesus have to die if all roads lead to Rome? Sadly, that's not the case. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth that leads to life. I am the way. You have to choose his way, his path. And the guarantee is it leads to life. We don't default to heaven. We choose. We choose eternity with or without Christ. So how do we choose? Well, the good news is we don't have to do anything apart from acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. In Ephesians 2.8, it says, for by grace, we've been saved. Not by works. Not by works, but through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God as a result of works. You know, I love receiving gifts and birthday season, the Norman family's coming up and Christmas is coming up for all of us. And we all love receiving gifts. But the greatest gift we can ever receive is the gift of salvation. It's the gift. That's what it is. It's a gift from from Jesus to us. We can't get through the right gate by our works. It's It's not even enough by being good or doing the right things donating money, serving for a charity, all those things are fantastic, but they don't get you on the right path. What gets us on the right path is simply opening up our hearts and saying today, Jesus, I need you. I need you. 
I've tried to live life my own way. I keep getting it wrong. And there's this gap in my life. Jesus today wants to fill it. He wants to remove the mistakes, the sin, the poor choices, the times we've got it wrong, the regrets. But he'll never leave you empty. He wants to fill that gap with his love and his forgiveness, his peace. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised Christ from the dead, today we will be saved. We simply have to choose the path. And I'd love everyone to stand in this moment of quiet. I want to finish with this final question today. For those online, this is for you too. Where will you be? Where will you be? Based on the reviews that we've read from Scripture, where will you be one minute after you pass from this earth? The answer is you choose. Everybody gets to spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. That's not my idea. That's what the Scriptures teach us. The good news is today you might be on the wrong path, but you can switch paths. You can switch paths. And you can receive God's grace and receive his forgiveness. I don't know your background. I don't know whether you grew up in church. I don't know how you find yourself here today, but I want to give everyone the opportunity to receive God's love and his forgiveness. He loves you, my friend. His desire is to spend eternity with you. And you can have the assurance that if your stones were to run out today, you would spend eternity with him simply by acknowledging Christ as your saviour. I want to give you that opportunity right now. In person, online, in this room, when I simply count to three, when I get there, get to, to three, I want you to slip up your hand, just long enough and high enough so I can see it. Say, John, this message today is for me. I want the assurance that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. All over this room, every Christian believer, I want you quietly praying right now, we're going to believe God that people are going to find Christ as their Lord and their Savior. One, He loves you. Two, have the courage right now. Three, just slip up your hand nice and high. Say, pray for me. God bless you. 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 Right at the back. God bless you. <coughs> Amazing. Amazing. You can put your hands down. It takes a lot of courage to lift up your hand. and We're going to say this prayer out loud. Well, I want us to say it from our hearts. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. And There's your screens at home, whether you're in the kitchen, maybe you're, you're listening out in the garden, whatever you're doing. I want you to say this prayer out loud from your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. To forgive all my sin and failures so that I can have a brand new start. Please come into my heart and help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to trust and to live for you. Amen. Amen. Can we congratulate everyone who said that prayer? Many of you lifted up your hands and many of you maybe you didn't lift up your hands. It's not about your hand, it's about what's happening in your heart and your mind this morning. Our team is going to be outside in a moment when we conclude the service. and They'll just be holding up this book. It's the Gospel of Mark, one of the great books of, of the Bible. We encourage you to take this. It's a gift from our church to you. And we want to encourage you just to maybe just share some of your details with us so we can, we can stay in touch with you because we want to help you as you journey together in your newfound faith. And, you know, becoming a Christian doesn't mean all your problems disappear. It just means you have someone with you with your problems. It just means you have someone with you you can talk to every step of the day. And so, you know, it's not, it's not easy. Some of the things are happening in our world right now. And the Bible does give us some clear, clear information and projection of what's happening. And that's why I encourage you to, to take hold of it and begin to read it and help you study it. So well done. One more time. Let's congratulate everyone who said that prayer. If you're watching online, please let us know that you made that decision. So I think for us, many, many people made their peace with God today, but a message like that for, for Christians, what do we do with that? I think as I studied this week, I said, Holy Spirit, how do we, how do we land this? 
Because it's okay if someone doesn't know, if the majority of people listening to that, what do we do with it? What do we do with a message like that? And I felt the Holy Spirit show me this on Thursday. Colossians 3.22, to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And every time I've watched the news, seen things that have been sent to me, articles, my heart breaks. I see the deterioration of humanity in our world at a rate that I've never seen it before. We all feel the brokenness and the pain that we're watching. And I remind myself, this is what the Holy Spirit said. He said, John, share this with the church. Every time we see pain, every time we hear heartache, remind ourselves of this. It doesn't end like this. It doesn't end like this. This is not the end of the story. Heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. And for some of you, the rocks, the rocks are slowly, they're creeping to the other side. And you're saying, wow. Kind of, kind of hanging on. Who knows for all of us? None of us know, do we? Just how many rocks we have left. I think we have to ramp up. Ramp up, not just our love for Jesus, but sharing the love of Jesus. Because if we really believe what we believe, we would live this week different. If we really got the opportunity to spend one second in hell and one minute in heaven, all our week would be so different. I don't think we'd be so concerned about some of the things around us. I think we'd be more concerned saying, do you know Jesus, my friend? If you don't, you do. Congratulations, good on you. Welcome to the family of God. But I think we'd be a lot more passionate. I think we'd have a lot more courage. I think we'd have a lot more sense of urgency to share the good news. And that leads on to our final session recognizing the times next week we'll take a break I think we need a break after today that was a heavy one Nikki and Silla Lee are going to be here on strength in relationships and friendships and marriage it's going to be awesome and then the final week we're going to land this series and then we're going to head into a Christmas series we'll be all nice for, for a few weeks that'd be great we're going to land this series and we're going to live with a sense of urgency that Jesus could come back so how do we live how do we live how do we share our faith in university how do we share our faith in school? How do we share our faith with family members when we know that they don't know Jesus? And I believe it's going to give us a real catapult and momentum as we head into a brand new year. It's been awesome. Thanks for letting me share my heart today. I pray you received it in grace and love. Thanks again for tuning in. If you said yes to Jesus today by saying the salvation prayer, we'd love for you to email connections at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision you just made. And if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, head to soulchurch.com. And don't forget to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching at soulchurch.uk. Take care and God bless.